Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I have by the dim and flaring lamps. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of man before the judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make them free. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. 
His truth is marching on. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, help us to keep the truth marching on, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus, to live, Lord, to share the gospel, to share the truth, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This country was built upon biblical principles. Let us return to that. Hallelujah. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies. To the oceans, white with foam, God bless America, my home, sweet home, God bless America, Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need you now more than ever, Lord. Bless us, O Lord Jesus, with your presence. Bless us with your spirit and your power, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We want to give you the glory. We want to give you the honor, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we worship you today. We give honor to you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you for the freedom that we have to worship you openly. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty, worthy to receive glory, worthy to receive honor, worthy to receive all our praise today. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy to receive glory, worthy to receive honor, worthy to receive all our praise today. Praise. 
exalt him exalt his name forever praise him praise him and lift him up praise him exalt his name forever holy 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 is the lord god almighty worthy to receive glory worthy to receive honor worthy to receive all our praise today holy 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 is the lord god almighty worthy to receive glory worthy to receive honor worthy to receive all our praise today hallelujah yes lord you are worthy there is no one else worthy like you lord hallelujah Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What does it mean to be a veteran? The decision to join the military comes with much that is never heard nor seen by the general public. Much of this commitment is both physically and mentally life-changing. For many veterans, they carry their memories internally within their head and may on occasion share them with friends, family, or in general conversation. Many do not. So what does it mean to be a veteran? Being a veteran means lying in your bedroom all night without sleeping, knowing that you're shipping off to basic training to start your military career in a few hours. Being a veteran means having poured your heart as it's racing. As that first drill instructor steps on the bus, screaming at an octave you've never heard before and telling you that you have 10 seconds to get off that bus, line up on those little yellow footprints outside of the bus. Being a veteran means jumping into a bed at perfectly rigid attention each night on a bed 
which is perfectly folded corners that you could bounce a quarter on. Being a veteran means sitting outside one day during a 10-day field exercise and wondering, what was I thinking joining the military? Being a veteran means finding out that after you've finished a three-mile run, you are expected to do it again the next day. Being a veteran means it requires you eating MREs, whether you like them or not. Being a veteran means participating in GI parties in the barracks, even when you know there is nothing that needs to be cleaned. Being a veteran means the retelling of countless stories that never seem to grow old. Being a veteran means pulling guard duty half the night, knowing you better not fall asleep, even though you were up all day and will be required to be up all the next day. Being a veteran means seeing your family only once for a few weeks during your first four years in service due to being stationed overseas with a starting pay of only $700 a month. Being a veteran means spending multiple Thanksgivings and Christmases away from family. Because the military philosophy is, they didn't issue you that family. Being a veteran means having the opportunity to see the world, realizing you still miss the snail-paced environment of home. Being a veteran means belonging to a unique group of people from all walks of life where you automatically have something in common that others won't understand. Being a veteran means feeling the absolute pride, joy, exhilaration, and emotional gratification of being able to do your part for your country. Being a veteran means meeting someone special or making close friends only to find out that you, ha- you are being shipped out in the next few days. Being a veteran means dressing in uniform, even on 90-degree days to stand at parade, rest, knowing you are forbidden to do anything about it because movement of any kind would be a huge embarrassment. Being a veteran means singing, signing for military housing and furnishings, knowing there is not much you can do to make them look any better or feel like home. Being a veteran means the satisfaction you felt after quickly earning the respect of others for having served in the first place. So what does it mean to be a veteran? It means extreme sacrifice by yourself and your family. It means that you still, to this day, get major goosebumps on opening day at football home openers when the military fly take place and the national anthem is sung. It means you take it seriously when you fly your American flag outside of your house on the 4th of July on Memorial Day and Veterans Day. It means even though your body is riddled with multiple problems, aches and pains, you would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Why? Because you deeply love this country.
of ours, and you're extremely proud of it. For the sacrifices it took for us to live in this great country and share in the freedoms for which we are privileged enough to have. That's what it means to be a veteran. If you could all stand, please. If you would bow your heads, raise your hands, we're going to bless our, pre- our veterans this day. Lord, your word says to give honor to whom honor is due. Today we give honor to our veterans. We thank them for their service. We pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. Because there are men and women willing to serve in the military, we live in a country of wealth freedom to pursue education, careers, our goals, freedom to travel to every state in our country. We have even on this day the freedom to gather together to worship you, Lord, all over this country. For our president, the congressmen and women, the the senators, our military leaders, judges, civil servants, Of this nation, we pray that the fear of the Lord would be upon them. Your wisdom, your understanding, your counsel, that your purpose and your plans will be accomplished. Alone, we can do so little, but together we can do much. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? This is our confidence, our hope, our faith. You are the Lord, the God of all flesh, and nothing is too hard for you. In God do we trust. Amen. I have heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne, and they were told that he spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one they chose to die. The Son of God they would not deny. Like a great angelic choir I can
Amen. You feel that way this morning? Praise God. Lord Jesus, we give ourselves again afresh to you. We submit ourselves entirely unto your will, your plan for our lives. Hallelujah, Jesus, because it was you that purchased us. It was you that suffered and died in our place. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. It's been preached a billion times but it's still just as powerful as the first time I ever heard it. How that Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb, suffered and died on a cross in my place. He paid for my sins. He didn't have to. They were mine to pay. But He paid them for me because He loved me. He wanted a relationship with me. And He desired me to live with Him forever in heaven. Praise God. What an awesome, awesome thing that is. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I've asked our veterans to come and speak with us this morning. Amen. Did I get out of order? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amen. So, I'm very much looking forward to hearing what our veterans have to say. Amen. Uh they're only going to go about 45 minutes to an hour each. We have eight of them. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For <laughs> 40, okay, okay, four or five. Get that mixed up. First one we're going to have come speak to us today is uh, Brother Shepherd. Amen. If you'd come. Amen. As far as I know, our only resident Navy man, he is coming to represent. Amen. God bless you, Brother Shepherd. Thank you. First of all, I just want to say thanks for Pastor Becker and his wife for allowing me to speak. Anyway, um, I don't really know what to say because this is all going to be totally improv, so... Everything I'm saying is just right off the cuff. So they say behind every every good man is a great wife. So I want to thank my wife, Vicky. Um, many of you don't know, but actually I proposed to her on on Veterans Day, 2017, um, upon uh, Granddad Buff. I asked her to be my wife. And thank God she said yes. So, and that's a great testimony to my wife. So, thank you for saying yes, Vicki. You might be the best. So, uh, Veterans Day, salvation in the Navy. Um, what can I say? Um, I'm going to give you my words of my t- personal testimony. I'm going to talk to you about uh, my little history, give you a little history lesson on my life. Uh, 1992, I joined the Navy, April 92. I went to Gray Lake, Illinois, 
uh, I was a little older than the usual 18 years of age, uh, actually 20, so I didn't really join right out of the military, but I had a desire, as my mother could testify, to be in the Navy, or to be in the military. I had a, so, but I didn't go in right away. The reason why I didn't go in right away is I had a little, I had some breathing problems. I was, I was a little asthmatic in cross country. I loved cross country. I was third man on my varsity team. Uh, I really ran a lot, but uh, when I went to Neftier, they said I couldn't join, and I wasn't the DA, and I was a little stubborn, so I went and moved with my father, who lived in Wyoming at that time, and I said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to join, and when I went to MEPS, military entrance processing station, they didn't find anything, so I joined, and I fought in as, as a Navy sailor. And uh, at MEPS, they give you your assignment, basically, give you four choices after ASVAB, which is your military entrance testing, and uh, they give you what they want you to be, basically. You have four choices, and I chose to be a ship serviceman. So, um, April 92, I went to boot camp, two months, Great Lakes, Illinois. Um, and I graduated boot camp. And then A school was in Meridian, Mississippi. I went there for a month, four weeks of training to become a ship serviceman. After that, I went to SHB school to become a Navy barber. Um, and my first command was going to be the USS Carl Vincent CV-170, which they did show pictures of my ship on, on, on uh, anyways, behind here, and, and they were showing the pictures. I got to say, Brother Becker, I didn't even recognize your picture because you had hair back then. But we love you anyway, thank God. Thank God you're here. But uh, it's like, who's that? And finally me and Vicky kind of figured it out. Like, that's Brother Becker. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'll leave it at that. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so went to B school, and I began to uh, kind of found out where the bar was, and all the guys were bringing me to the bar, and went to the enlisted bar and started flirting with the world. Uh, drinking and stuff like that, like a lot of sailors do. Of course, you're encouraged to do that, right, in boot camp. You know, they say drink to the floor in our song as we're marching along. So I started flirting with alcoholism, but I was uh, alone, and I was depressed because I didn't have any of my friends. I didn't bring anybody with me. I didn't have, you know, I didn't know, I knew about God. My dad was born and raised. He, taught, he brought me up in Baptist churches all my life. So I knew about God. I didn't have a real relationship. Um, my dad was a deacon. He would fall asleep in church. So would I. I followed his orders, you know. Come to rest, Jesus said, and I would, I would give you rest. But I don't think he meant that kind of rest. But so anyway, um, let's go ahead and move forward. So I started, anyway, started, started flirting with the world. Uh, started flirting with alcoholism. Uh, drinking quite heavily. And one night I got so depressed that I attempted suicide. Uh, because they say alcohol and depression doesn't mix. It's a bad mixture. Um, and then I I could swear I could have heard God's audible voice that night saying that this is not how it's been for you. you know, there's more for you. Um, and I said, God, if, I said, if you're real, said, help me to change. I said, help me to change who I am. I'm going to change. But it wasn't overnight. I mean, miracles just didn't happen overnight. I didn't. I'm not who I was today. I wasn't certainly apostolic. 
just, uh, I just said, God, if you're real, help me to change. The next morning, my, one of my senior petty officers at May School, Meridian, Mississippi, was he talking about, what was his topic? He talked about suicide. Coincidental? I don't think so. He talked about suicide, and, and he talked about his experiences with his own attempts with suicide and the seriousness of suicide. And he said, if any of you sailors, and he said, have any trouble with them talking. At, he said, I'm not going to judge you, but he said, if you guys are having any difficulties, I know you're in a strange situation. This is your first time away from home, and, you know, you're out here alone. He said, but if you have any trouble, come talk to me. And at the end of that day, I went and talked to him. And uh, he's like, he asked me if I wanted out of the military. I said, no. I said, I really joined because I wanted to, you know, travel and see the world. And I and did, honestly, want to see the military, wanted to see the world. But uh, I said, but listen, I said, I'm alone. I don't have a lot of friends. And I'm flirting with alcohol. And I said, I just need somebody to talk to. And he sent me to a counselor. And I, we, we counseled. And uh, I got through that mess and got what I needed at that time. Anyway, going to my first command, probably in the summer of 92, uh, USS Carl Vinson, she was in complete overhaul at, in Greenwich in Washington. Uh, she just coming off of a complete overhaul, and that's a dry dock uh, where they do the complete overhaul on the ship every so often because of the, you know, the being out in the ocean is tough on the rig, rig anyway. And uh, they, they were redoing the whole works underneath and stuff like that, repainting the bottoms re-upping the flight deck, putting on new skids, and uh, um, doing what needed necessary repairs that they needed to do. And um, so I, w I, I reported there, and I was still, you know, flirting with the world, and I still was drinking. I, I'll admit it. I was still drinking, but I wasn't drinking as heavily. But all the guys in my division encouraged it, and I started flirting with them, and I wanted to be cool like them, so I wanted to hang out with them and do what they were doing, because I thought these guys were cool. A couple of the other ship servicemen who were living together off base. And um, I went drinking with them. And then um, one day I was coming out, going out Liberty, didn't have anything to do. And right out of the turnkey, if you had been to Bremerton, in Washington, you'd notice they have high security there because you know, they want to give away military secrets, and you can't get in and out unless you're military or you're a contractor for the military uh, because of all the work that goes on there, shipbuilding and so on and so forth. But anyways, I was coming out of the turnstiles uh, because it is high security there. And on the street corner up at McDonald's there in Bremerton, Washington, was a, my first evangelist encounter with the minister. And he invited me to church. I got nothing else to do, so sure, why not? And I, he took me to my first UPC church, and um, I remember that gentleman. Uh, I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell you his exact name, but uh, he invited me to church, and I went. And I'd never been to a United Pentecostal church service before, never in my entire life up to this point. But anyways, the man of God was preaching so hard that night. I saw sweat, you know, coming down his face. And the people were dancing in the Holy Spirit. And there was a liberty there that I didn't recognize as a Baptist. There was something different about this church. People were raising up hands. And they were shouting. And they were praising God. And they were dancing in the Spirit. And they were running out. And I was like, whoa, I never saw this before. I was, my mind was blown. 
park, and I was just, I was scared and freaked out at the same time. Like, these guys are, these guys have lost it, you know, they're Looney Tunes. What I thought, you know, because I could only look into the eyes of the flesh. I didn't understand what was going on. And once the sermon ends, I was heading for that door as fast as I could go. And the gentleman must have been an usher or something at the end because he caught my arm before I, I could get out that door. And he said, why don't you come to my house someday? He said, do you have a, he said, do you have yourself a Bible, son? I said, yes. He said, come to my house someday for lunch or dinner. He's like, here's my number. Gave me his name and number. And he said, it's just an easy walk from, you know, the dry dock, you know, the base right there where you're on. He said, and we both talked about what went on. And, uh, and said, so I'm like, okay. So I took his number. And then, you know, that day did come by where I had nothing else to do. And then I called him up, said, hey, you remember me? He's like, yeah. He's like, I remember you. He's like, you have yourself a Bible? He's like, bring it to me. He's like, we'll have a nice dinner, and I'll show you a good time. Sure. So I called him up, and then uh, I went to his house. And, of course, him and his wife greeted me at the door, and, we, and I came in. The first thing I started looking for was a TV. They didn't have a TV. I'm like, this is unusual. He's like, how come you don't have a TV? He's like, well, he's like, we, have, we find other things to do. He's like, we listen to the radio, and we do other things, and we just don't have a TV. Okay, that's different, but that's okay. And then uh, he started you know, asking me what I do in the military and who I am and where I'm from. And, you know, we make small talk. And then uh, you know, his wife has a nice meal. We have a nice meal together, and we make small talks about those things. I find out what he does, and I, can't, I, I don't remember all those details of what he did. I just remember what I did. I, I, and I, so anyways, he takes me through, and he starts showing me some, some things in the Bible. And he starts showing me salvation in Jesus' name, baptism. He breaks it down. You know, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That, you know, John 3, 3. Except a man is born again of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, John 3 and 5. Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He goes on further. He says, for this promise unto you and your children and all that are far from them, as many as the Lord our God shall call. As many other words to be testified, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And I'm like, like, this is how you interpret this, I said. I don't see it, he said. I was not raised to believe this, they said. I was baptized twice in the Trinity. I don't see it. I said, this is how you interpret it. So I, I ran away from that guy. Ran away. Even though he showed me the truth, he showed me the absolute truth, and I wasn't ready for it. I'm asking you, are you ready? You guys who've never received this yet. But anyway, let's move on. My leading petty officer was also the situation. I'm, and I'm convinced to this day that that man was a praying man. I'm convinced he had some sort of heavenly connection that I didn't know about. And uh, anyway, um, my leading petty officer was this. And then he started inviting me to church. Imagine that, right? His name was Tom Whipple. Tom Whipple was an E6 in the Navy, and he was a ship serviceman first class. And he was a nice guy. He had a great wife named Carolyn. They both live in Honolulu, Hawaii. Rough. And they have a beautiful family up there. Uh, but anyway, he starts inviting me to church, and I started going with him. 
and I started hearing more of the truth, and I started coming to church more often, started hearing the church minister, me, and I started hearing it and going on my own, like, there's something here I need to hear, but I still don't actually hear it. And I started going on my own, and I went to a church in San Lorenzo, California, Gospel Lighthouse, and his name was Brother Russian, and he had a missionary there that day. And the missionary said, and he was using a tabernacle plan on the high priest, and he was talking about Aaron and the labor. And he talked about the labor, and he said, you would look into the labor and see himself, and he had to wash in the labor the blood that was on his hands because of the altar sacrifice. And he related that blood to being like our sins. It's filthy. Because we wash, and um, we can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need to wash too, before we can come and be baptized. And you know, we need to be baptized after we repent of our sins, and then we need to be filled with God's Spirit. And he related all that together so beautifully that the scales came off my eyes that night. And I said, I don't completely understand it. I said, but God dealt with me tonight, and I know I need to get baptized in Jesus' name. I know it. I said. And so I said, Brother Rushing, I said, Pastor Rushing, I said, listen, I said, I'm a sailor in the U.S. Navy. I said, and I'm going to be gone on the ship two weeks. And I said, I don't even know if I'm coming back to this place. And I said, and I told him, I said, I've seen something here tonight. I don't completely understand it, but I said, I know I need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of my sins. And I'm, and I, been repenting. I, I've been thinking about all my sins in my in my head that God could bring up possibly, and I repented of all of them. I said, I need to be washed. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I need, and he, he stopped that whole service, and just for me, he baptized me right there in Jesus' name. He honored my wish, and I praise God for that. <laughs> so I, I praise God for that. So here's water. I'm not going to ask one question tonight. Here's water. What does hinder you to be baptized in his name today if you've never been baptized in his name? What does hinder you? You need to be washed. We all need to be washed in his name. We all need to be baptized in his name. Jesus is a supreme sacrifice for all. We all need it. it. Jesus didn't die just for me. He died for all of us. Okay. So later on, it wasn't. I just, when I came up out of that water and I was baptized in Jesus' name, I was rejoicing that fact. But I did not receive the Holy Ghost. Some people do receive the Holy Ghost when they first came out of the water. I didn't. I was still ready for the Holy Ghost. Even I've been washed, but now I needed the Holy Ghost. And my Holy Ghost came differently. The Holy Ghost comes differently to everybody. But how will you know? You will hear yourself speaking in other tongues. The Spirit gives the utterance. Some people receive it here at the altar. Some people receive it right in that baptismal tank. And some people can receive it in different places. Mine came from a different but I knew I needed it. Acts, the second chapter, you can read it for yourself. Same Holy Ghost said, those people who were baptized that day can be yours today. So I was in my pickup truck after a great service, and I was listening to worship music, and I don't remember the particular song. I was worshiping along with my favorite worship CD at that particular time, and God knew exactly what I needed. He knew I needed the Holy Ghost. And I was driving back to base, and I was driving my uh, 1992 Ford Ranger back to base when God gloriously filled that cab with his presence. And I'm telling you, 
there was a burning sensation down deep inside of me that I could not contain. And it just came up and out, and I began to speak in tongues. The Spirit of God gave good in. And I have never been the same since that day. Because I was a changed man that day. Because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And he is my hope. He is my everything. And he can be your everything. Jesse, you need a hope. You need a refreshing, buddy. I'm speaking this because that's my son. You need a refreshing in the Holy Ghost. There is more for you if you want it. I love you. Praise God. What an awesome testimony. I love hearing people's testimonies. How that, you know, there's a saying that all roads lead to heaven, and that's simply not true, but we certainly take different paths to heaven, don't we? Uh, My testimony is different than everyone else's. Yours is different than everyone else's. But God somehow coordinates everything to get us to where we need to be at the right time. And it's such an awesome thing when we look back on those things after the fact and we see, oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, wow, how cool is that? God working everything out. Our next speaker, unfortunately, uh, isn't here. He wasn't able to be here. He's not feeling well. Uh, but uh, Brother Terry Rapage is, I'm sorry, oh, <laughs> is a uh, uh, veteran of the Vietnam War. And he did write some things down. Uh, I'm going to be honored this morning to read those to you um, as much as I can understand the handwriting. No judgment. It's a lot better than mine. (laughs) So he begins like this. I was drafted in the United States Army on October 24, 1966. I was 19 years old. That seems to be the average age of the Vietnam vet. My two years of active duty started at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I, Terry Rapids, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. I submitted to a haircut that took it all. So see, it doesn't matter that I have hair now or not. Back then, nobody had hair. (laughs) I had hair then, but I still didn't. (laughs) To seven shots, received in both my arms (laughs) and private backside, uh, detailed detailed instructions for pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, squats, lunges, crunches, etc. I quickly understood the purpose of all this. Discipline equals following instructions and obey. I was then sent to Fort Carson, Colorado for basic and AIT, advanced infantry training. In about a year, I and our entire battalion received our orders for Vietnam. We departed out of the Oakland Army base in California, but had a week delay as the air base in uh, Ben Hoa, I want to slaughter these names, was damaged by enemy mortar attack, the base we were to go. The flight time was about 17 hours, about 8,000 miles. 
We arrived in January of 1968, the month I was born. <laughs> right? At the start of the Tet Offensive, that began January 31st, 1968. That was the beginning of my one-year tour in Vietnam. I then was separated from my battalion, the 5th Infantry, out of Fort Carson and sent north to the Quinn Hon area near An Khe. Most of my tour was in that area. Please uh, forgive me for these. Uh, one day in Vietnam in 1968, John Anderson Jr. had just turned 20 years old when he arrived in Vietnam on the last day of April 1968. Like so many of the 500,000 Americans who served in Vietnam in 1968, he'd been drafted. The young soldier who lived in Wellsville, PA, arrived in Southeast Asia at a moment of peak violence. The communists had launched a May offensive, also known as Mini-Tet. American grenades were aggressively pushing a counteroffensive. I'm sorry, American generals were aggressively pushing a counteroffensive. Uh, May 1968 would turn out to be the bloodiest month of the bloodiest year for Americans in Vietnam. PFC Anderson served in the 1st Battalion, 508th Infantry, 82nd Airborne Division. I was soon engulfed in fighting in the northern part of the country near the ancient imperial capital of Hugh. He survived less than four weeks in a place known as Hill 618. The bloodiest day of the Vietnam War for the U.S. was the 31st of January, 1968, at the start of the Tet Offensive, when 246 Americans were killed in action. Most U.S. casualties killed in one year was in 1968, 16,899. There was 58,220 U.S. military fatalities in the Vietnam War. 1,161 Wisconsin servicemen lost their life in Vietnam. The Army lost 38,200. and 24 soldiers. The Marines lost 14,844. The Air Force lost 2,586. The Navy lost 2,559. The Coast Guard lost seven for a total of 58,220. There were 182 Pentecostals killed in Vietnam. There were about 11,835 U.S. helicopters that served in Vietnam. 5,607 were lost. 3,744 planes were lost. Agent Orange in the Vietnam War. The U.S. Air Force sprayed nearly 19 million gallons of herbicides in Vietnam, of which a, at least 11 million gallons was Agent Orange. Any veteran who served anywhere in Vietnam during the war is presumed to have been exposed to Agent Orange. Agent Orange was one of a class of color-coded herbicides that the U.S. sprayed over rural landscape to kill trees and shrubs and kill food crops that were providing cover and food to our enemy forces. <coughs> it had the deadly uh, contaminant called dioxin. Roughly 300,000 U.S. Veterans have died from Agent Orange exposure. That almost, that's almost five times as many as the 58,000 who died in combat. 
one of one of Sonia's best friends husband just died of uh, pea cancer prostate cancer pancreatic as a result of exposure uh, at age 54 had surgery to remove it Okay, thank you. Terry was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer at age 54 and had surgery to remove it. The VA Medical Hospital in Toma determined that Agent Orange most likely was the cause. Uh, also struggled to control high blood pressure for the past 25 years or so that led to open heart surgery less than two years ago. Skin cancer. I said all of that to say this. I am doubly thankful for the gift of life, our Constitution, the freedom of religion, of speech, and our right to bear arms. The military taught me to follow directions, obedience, and discipline. These are all biblical principles. Hebrews 5, verse 7 says, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Proverbs 9, 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Amen. That's from Brother Terry Rapage. <laughs> Praise God. This is, uh, you know, just as an aside, you know, when I when I went into the service, it was 1986. There was nothing really going on. Uh, This kind of scenario for me and everyone that went in at that time was a million miles away. But people going into the Vietnam War, people going into uh, the military here recently, today, to Afghanistan, to Iraq, that is a very real situation. That's a very real possibility. In those kinds of situations, when you sign on the dotted line, you are literally taking your life in your hands. You are, you are laying that down, the possibility of losing it for this purpose. That is the ultimate sacrifice. And I don't know how anybody could have anything less than the utmost reverence and respect for anyone that would, that would have that kind of an attitude, that kind of a sacrificial service attitude that they would lay down their lives in behalf of this country, you and me, so that we can enjoy the freedoms that were just given to us. Praise God. Again, thank you for all of those that served. Next up, I didn't bring my notes. Brother Richard. Amen. Brother Richard is our next speaker. He was in the Air Force and in the Army. I'm looking forward to what he has to say. <laughs> Brother Richard, please come. My wife said, make it short. 
Brother DeMuth said, just act yourself. I don't think you want that. <laughs> no, I entered the Air Force in 1965. None of you people are alive. A couple of people here and there. But, uh, of course, I went to San Antonio, Texas, Blackburn Air Force Base. Went from there to Lowry Air Force Base. No longer exists. Denver, Colorado. I tried to find that place. It don't exist. <laughs> Could never be. Um, I was uh, I was made a, a class leader in Denver at Lowry Air Force Base. We loaded rockets and missiles and bombs on pylons on aircraft planes. Well, my class got together and wanted me to go with the first sergeant and said, we want to go to Vietnam. I said, <laughs> it's just too tough to go. So I went to the first sergeant and he said, no, you guys can't go. You got to go through uh, tech school and all this. So that kind of fell into the background. If you, if you graduated from tech school, you went to Germany after a third degree. And I had some Went to Germany. Nice flight. Uh, got there. I had just turned 19 when I hit Germany. I just uh, I got there in January of 19. I turned 19 in December. And here we. So I, I was there as a single, single. It's right out of school would give you one step. That's what you would do. So I got to Germany. I was there not very long, probably less than a year. And I, I uh, put on the load crew. Uh, it was a four-man load crew counting crew chief. And I was the number three man. I was to go to one of Von Taylor's missile lines winding up on the rails over there somewhere. Okay. That went along pretty good. And the next thing I know, I into. You can't hear me? Well, maybe there's a reason for that. Okay. <laughs> there's always one or two like that that you just got to have. Anyway, I was put on a what they called a standboard team. There's a I was assistant crew chief on a standboard team. We trained all the other load crews. And so they, for reasons unknown to me, they sent us down to uh, a little town called Erding, which is south of uh, Frankfurt, not too far from Dachau. Anyway, we, uh, I was there maybe about three, four days, and all of a sudden I get orders to get on this ton and a half back to Han Air Base where I was stationed. Well, it turns out this E-9 gave me my first and only retention interview. He said, you know, it comes in a young man's life, everyone, you know, blah, 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 but you've got to step forward. And they made me a crew chief. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the crew chief of three other guys because we were running short of people, so I broke it down to a four-man crew. 
And we went through the training stall and all that, got out the flight line, and these guys had been not too good with their other crew chief. Matter of fact, they, <laughs> they got him busted. He was a staff sergeant. So here we're out there, you know, you get off the, out of the truck and we put these missile, we called them caskets. The four of them sat on the, on, the, on, the, on the ramp, open them up. But the first thing they were supposed to do is line up in front of me and I'm, my back's to the aircraft and I'm telling them what they're supposed to be doing. And I, well, they took off, so I, I hollered at them, butts back here. This is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, I looked over to one guy's shoulder, and there was an E-8 st standing two airplanes back watching. It wouldn't have been too long. I'd have lost one more stripe. Because <laughs> that's, that's what they did to this other guy. But uh, Germany, I, I enjoyed the Air Force, honestly. It, it was, uh, you were structured, you know. You knew what was going to happen before it happened because you'd done it over and over and over and over and over. I mean, I could still load aircraft right now, probably. Just close my eyes, I see them little birds. F-102 fighter interceptors. Anyway, I left Germany, I think it was 1969, I believe. And I got back to the States, and that was the first time I wished I'd have never got out. <laughs> I mean, I had so many regrets about that. It's unbelievable. Because it, it was so structured. And when I got out, it was like crazy, man. Everybody's doing their own thing. kind of, And it was kind of messy. But I got to the... I got home and lived with my aunt and uncle. Because no one else wanted us. No. <laughs> we were... We were kind of... Well, I was aware of this state until I was turned 21. I turned 21 in Germany, so. There were. I started working at, um, at the time it was called Lacrosse Rubber Mills. And that's where I, I met my lovely wife. <laughs> Strangely enough, I, you know that she was the only female in that place that was wearing a dress. I mean, it's just like, aha! <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I was, a, I was a crazy wild man and all that. <laughs> but it didn't take long. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm getting married. <laughs> that leg is still shaking. <laughs> it, it was must have been 95 degrees in that church, and I had a wet spot all the way down my back, and that right leg just wouldn't shut. Wouldn't stop. It just jumped up and down. I don't know why. Maybe it was trying to run. Half of me wanted to run. Ah, oh, Lord. But no, this uh, this was probably the well. Sandy was just bugging the death out of me to show up. You know, come to church. I mean, it was relentless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank God now, you know, because, but uh, <laughs> it was a rally. I remember the rally. It, the place was packed. And I was sitting right about where Sandy's sitting now. 
and it's got, I don't know who was preaching. It was some preacher. I'm guessing. <laughs> anyway, he said, anybody, you know, need the Holy Ghost? I figured there's at least two or three other people. Oh, no. <laughs> it was It was scary. But I tell you, I didn't. I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, they had, they had thrown me in the tank before. You know, I'd been in the tank, got washed, and all that. But it was it was such a rush to me. I didn't really quite understand what was going on. Brother Grussell, you remember Brother Grussell? Yeah, uh, down the river. He he took my cigarettes and my lighter. Yeah, my lighter said San Antonio, Texas on it. I etched it on there myself. Well, I never saw that again. That was just before he put me in the tank. But I come up in that, you know, I come up the aisle. I had that turquoise leisure suit on. <laughs> Hammer down, sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay for this. I know. But anyway, I come up to the front, and he laid hands on me, and I mean, I come off the floor. At least I felt like I did. And it was just, it just was flowing all over the place. And he says, come on up here and say something. And I come up, and he says, praise the Lord. That's exactly what I did. And <laughs> there was a lady sitting back there waiting for me. I was walking down. You know, they had food downstairs, so I was walking up. She comes up to me, she says, golly, deaf. It sure don't take long for the devil to get in gear, does it? <laughs> oh, Lordy. I was at WWTC. I don't, what is it called now? Western Tech? Yeah, it's something like that. But anyway, <laughs> I would walk in there in the morning with my Bible, and at lunch I'd set it down on the table. And I had people, guys just come over and sit, and we'd talk and talk and talk. And one day there was a guy over in the next room. There was no doors. It was just in the next room, the Tom building. And he was a hip, well, hypnotist. And my Lord, you could feel the air vibrate. You, I told these guys, I said, you don't want to get involved with that. You open your mind up to the, the next demon that happens to be standing by. It was freaky. But I had, we had a guy, I brought a guy to church. I followed him downstairs, upstairs, downstairs. The devil wasn't going to let him get baptized. He wanted to get baptized. You know, he had the extra clothes with him and everything, but it wouldn't be done. But there were a few tests that God set up for me, at least two that I remember real well. And both of them I failed. Both of them I failed. And I, I, another one of them regrets that you uh, you carry with you. Um, if you try to if you try to repent of everything, it'll it'll take you all the rest of your life because there's things that you don't remember. All of a sudden, there it is, right in front of you. So you're repenting of that. Okay, everything seems to be doing good. I could feel spirits. I could, I could just 
discern spiritual health better. I could tell if, well, I could tell if they have a demon. I honestly, that's, that's the way I look at it. I, I look for what I know in the signs. And this woman came in the door and backed me right up against the wall. She was a nun, but she had a demon, big time. I mean, woo. You, hair was standing up in the back of my neck. There are things that I was told never to tell anybody. So I felt like, yeah, don't don't go don't ever mention it scares people or something because it, you know, you have pizza dreams and too much coffee. No, it shouldn't scare them because, see, God's always been in control. All this baloney that's going on right now, don't worry about it. God, God's taking care of the little things because here we are. I ain't going to preach. No. I, I, did, I tried that once. You ever heard of the turn to the second book of Acts? I got through the whole thing. Pastor goes, that was Brother Eastman. So I walked back to him. He said, there's only one book of Acts. <laughs> Did I say something wrong? He said, yeah, you said turn to the second book of Acts. <laughs> uh, there was some, oh, well, appreciate you guys. I'm trying not to be me. Not a good thing. Thank you. Sister DeMuth. My husband doesn't have to worry about me being short. I wrote mine down. Actually, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget half of it. Whether we admit it or not, we all have doubts about our ability to accomplish things we are asked to do. We are often confronted with things that make us uncomfortable, things we would get out of if we could. Let's face it, any veteran will tell you that basic training itself is designed to push a person way beyond their limit. For me, being up here today is one of those instances. Just last year, ladies' retreat was canceled due to COVID. As a section rep, I was asked by the ladies' president to talk for about 20 minutes on video about something I felt the Lord had given me for the ladies of our district. After much prayer, I felt like God had given me a specific thought that needed to start with me, but ultimately is meant for all of us. I tried to convince myself that it was just me thinking it up, but the thought just wouldn't leave me alone. Unbeknownst to them, it was even confirmed to me through the words of others. You are probably asking yourself right about now, what thought? The thought God spoke to me last year was beyond our comfort zone. It seems almost ironic that he would give me, of all people, this thought to talk about on a video. Considering how far out of my comfort zone I am right now by being asked to speak in front of you. I am an introvert by nature, my true comfort zone being to put my thoughts into words on paper. For the sake of his kingdom, God is now asking me to step out of my present comfort zone into a place he wants to take me. It was not a mandatory request by any means, but I felt that God would not let me decline the request. In fact, making that video was so far out of my comfort zone that I had actually put it off as long as I could. Gentle email reminders forced me to step outside of my comfort zone and face my fear and nervousness of speaking in front of others. 
I tried numerous times to just say what was on my heart, but kept stumbling over my words. In fact, I was so nervous the first two times I tried to make the video, I didn't even realize that I had forgotten to hit record. I ended up writing down my thoughts and reading them. I felt like God was saying, that's okay, it's a start. It actually seemed odd to some that I wouldn't feel comfortable speaking in front of other people. After all, I am a teacher. However, I find that I would rather speak in front of 157th graders than five or six adults. Children are so much more forgiving of another's mistakes. They normally don't make snap judgments about everything you say. They aren't critical if you don't get something exactly right. In the past, I have reasoned within myself using these excuses as a way to avoid stepping outside of my comfort zone when asked to speak to adults. I find that I am tempted to react in the same way when it comes to sharing this gospel with others. In prayer, God showed me that as Christians, we often do the same thing. He showed me that I was using my comfort zone, my excuses to miss the opportunities he was giving me to minister to the lost. Our comfort zone makes it easy to minister to those around us in the church because, let's face it, we are comfortable with the saints in our church, the saints in our district, even the saints we meet outside of Wisconsin. But how comfortable are we around those who aren't in the church, those who may be living on the street or in jail? We create boundaries around ourselves, erecting invisible walls that keep us in our comfort zone. We make excuses in our mind why we can't talk to certain people, why we can't do what God is asking us to do. Those who are hungry for God won't care if we stumble a little over our words. They just want to know if we are real. The Bible is full of stories of both men and women who stepped outside of their comfort zone and were mightily used in God's plan for his people. We more often than not hear of men like Moses, David, and Paul being our example, but how often do we talk about the women who stepped out of their comfort zone to be a part of God's plan? Take Ruth, for example. I can just imagine what her comfort zone was like. She was living in the land of her people, around her family and neighbors who had known her all her life. She was familiar with her people's traditions. She probably had a set routine, knowing what she was expected to do from one day to the next. Tragedy strikes, and she finds herself without a husband. She chooses to return her, to her mother-in-law's homeland, even though Naomi tries to dissuade her from doing so. If Ruth had remained in her comfort zone, it would have had her staying in her own country, but missing out on the blessings God had in store for her. Stepping outside of her comfort zone took her to a place where she was a stranger, a place where everything was foreign to her way of being, but also a place that made her a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Esther is another example to us of stepping outside one's comfort zone. Her story takes her from the comfort zone of her Jewish girl upbringing to the palace of a pagan king to become his wife. She had to hide her identity. A decree goes out to kill all Jews. Her uncle Mordecai comes to her, telling her she must go before the king to save the lives of her people. She had not been summoned, but she realized to save her people and herself that she must step outside her comfort zone and approach the king unbidden. That step saved their lives. Fast forward to this year. God has continued to deal with me about going beyond my comfort zone. He has shown me that if I can push myself in the natural, I can push myself in the spiritual. He has reminded me that by enlisting in the Army and graduating from basic training, I had pushed myself way beyond my normal comfort zone. Upon college graduation, I had no job, no car, and no friends nearby as my dad had recently moved. Two weeks was a long time to sit at home doing nothing. My brother came home on leave from the Marine Corps and talked to me about the military. I knew that was way outside of my comfort zone. However, a week later, I found myself enlisting in the Army and scheduled to leave for boot camp in three weeks. My dad's response, you will never survive eight weeks of basic training. 
That comment was enough to push me out of my comfort zone. Every Every time I was tempted to quit, I was determined to prove him wrong. Over this past year, God has reminded me that I need to have that same determination when it comes to the work of his kingdom. When opportunities present themselves, Satan will try to convince me that I can't do it, that I won't succeed. I just need to have the determination to step outside my comfort zone. God is wanting all of us to step outside of our comfort zone for the sake of his kingdom. I ask myself, how many times had I passed up an opportunity to speak to someone about the saving power of Jesus Christ because it made me uncomfortable talking to a stranger? Think about how many times we may have missed what God was calling us to do for the sake of our comfort zone. Each of us has a different comfort zone. What is uncomfortable to me may not be for you. What is uncomfortable to you may be fine with me. Getting beyond our comfort zone will take time. It may take many steps. As for me, this is just a first step to getting beyond my current comfort zone. I know that it will take more than just this one step. I pray that as God opens doors for you and me, we are prepared to step out of our comfort zone for the sake of the kingdom. I hope this has ministered to you as it did to me. As you pray, ask God what comfort zone he is trying to get you to go beyond. Remember, if God is calling you out of your comfort zone for his purpose, have confidence that he is equipping you for that purpose. Praise God. Well, I guess in a small way, or in a big way, I'm thankful that her dad threw that challenge at her because she stayed in and finished boot camp and ended up in Fort Gordon, Augusta, Georgia, where she met me. And I found myself saying what most of you said about the first weekend of boot camp. What in the world have I done? Where's that bus? I think I want to go home. And I watched other guys leave, but I just determined in myself at 24 years old starting boot camp, I wasn't going back home. I was going to push forward and I was going to push through this because I really, I didn't even know it at the time God had directed me to. He had been gently nudging me to do it. And so he already knew all the things that he had laid out in front of my life, just like he does today. (laughs) Amen. I want to read a scripture real quick. Luke chapter 17, verse 5 through 10. And the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Boy, especially what my wife just talked about. (laughs) Because it takes more intestinal fortitude sometimes to get up in front of a bunch of people than you than you can imagine. Amen. You just have to learn how to get your butterflies in order, as I heard one person say. Get them in formation. That's right. <laughs> You're going to have butterflies. Just get get them to fly in formation. And the Lord said, "If you have if you have if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree." Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when it is come from the when when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say to him, say to the servant, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. That's not <coughs> 
Doth, doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. And that word unprofitable there means it's a word that's you, when you when you hear that you automatically probably think of a negative, like worthless or something like that. Uh, but what it really means is it's it's a it's in a negative sense that it means that we have not as his servants profited or benefited God at all. We are his servants. We're his sons. He's called us into this ministry, if you will, as Brother Becker always emphasizes, we're all in the ministry or we are all saints of God. If we've received this salvation experience that was preached in the book of Acts, we are all, every one of us, whether you realize it or not, you have stood up as we did in the military. You have, you have proverbially raised your right hand and you have you have said to the Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. Because that's really what we did when, when Brother Becker read those. I, I, could, I could almost quote, you know, what he read off of Brother Terry's notes. That, you know, because each time I reenlisted, I had to say that all over again, you know, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, we're fighting against an enemy. And we, you, you, you have to realize that you have... You have joined yourself into something that, you know, there's, once you join the military, there's no going back. Like Brother Richard said, there's, you come back and it, everything feels different. Everything feels weird. You don't feel like you belong anywhere because you've been trained to be a soldier. You've been trained to obey orders. You've been trained to live a certain lifestyle. You've been trained to have structure in your life. And isn't that what the Lord did for us? When we, when we signed up for this, when we, when we stood at an altar or stood in a pew and, and we, in our heart we were saying, God, like Brother Wayne said, I don't understand all of this, but I just know that I hear, the, I hear everybody else talking in tongues and I know I see the peace and I feel the peace in their life and I just want that too. And that actually happened to me before I went in the army. I was in a Pentecostal service. It wasn't a UPC service, but it was a service in a church where they believed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so I, I didn't know what I was saying when they, when they had the prayer line, and I got in the prayer line, and I got up there, and it was all of a sudden my turn to say what I needed to prayer for. I was just following everybody else. So I wouldn't be the only guy sitting in the pew while everybody else was in the prayer line. <laughs> I didn't want to stick out like a sore thumb in that service, right? So... So when I got up there and the guy's standing there with the bottle of oil and says, okay, what do you need? All of a sudden, everything is like, oh, no, what do I say? <laughs> so but at that moment, I hearkened back to when I walked into that service. They were worshiping and people were just dancing and shouting and doing all this stuff like Wayne was talking about. And I'd never seen that before. And it just amazed me. I didn't want to run out. It just something about it was just, it was like, Wow. They don't even know I'm here. They don't even care if I'm here. <laughs> and so out of my mouth came these words or words to this effect. Whatever those people had that were worshiping over there, I want that. And he just took that oil and put it on my head. And the next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor talking in tongues. And it was kind of like that when I joined the military. 
that guy was nice. When we, when we got to the reception station, they were talking to us like they were our long-lost buddies. But I'll never forget the day when he came on that bus and said, you got 10 seconds to get off my bus. Not a bus, not the bus, my bus. And in our case, it wasn't a bus. It was a cattle car. <clears throat> and we, we almost had a guy get trampled over that. But I'm thankful. I don't know about the rest of you veterans, but I am thankful. I was so thankful for that time. Because God used that to make me to be the man he needed me to be. He, God put, used that military time to put something in my brain that mindset of being a servant, of just obeying orders because that's what you're supposed to do. And not questioning and not asking. And, and yes, we ask God sometimes, why, why do you want me to go to Wisconsin? I asked that. And it, I didn't ask it for very long, but because he kept answering me the same thing he told me in prayer. I you will go to Wisconsin and you will serve me there. Like, like he just kept repeating himself. That you, you heard me the first time. I'm not going to say it any different the second time. But I just had to honor. And I had come to a point in my life where I had learned to trust God. It didn't make any difference if I understood it. it. didn't make any difference if I liked it. It didn't make any difference if I cared or not. What was more important to me was obeying the Lord. And it was just like just like that military service. It, I began to understand. I, I really I would lay in bed at night when they would play taps, and I would just almost cry tears because I was so honored that I was here. I was serving my country. It just so just touched me and honored me. And I I'm like that 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 when uh, Sister Linda when she read that about when they play the national anthem when they do. A, I, I just, something inside of me just wells up, Brother Becker. I, don't, I can't explain it. But it's that, it's that pride and that, you know, that, that we live in this free country, Sister Bell. You know, we've lived overseas. We've lived in other countries where they don't have the freedoms we have. And, and you just don't, un, you don't know. And these people that mumble and complain today about our country have no idea what they're talking about. I'm so thankful that we have the freedom to worship. Amen. I'm so glad that the Lord let me go down this path and learn, learn a simple word in my life called humility. And it's just like my wife was talking about, about getting out of your comfort zone. It's all about not humiliating yourself, but humbling yourself. We're worthy. He's made every one of us worthy to whatever it is he's called us to do, even if we don't feel like there's no way I can do that, God. He said, and he'll tell you if, if I'm calling you to it, I'll I'll give you what you need to accomplish it. Amen. Brother Becker. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right, I do see the time. I'm closing this out, so I will be very brief. <coughs> It was really brief. <laughs> I think I missed it. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Ezekiel 3.17 says this, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, just very quickly, uh, you know, we who have joined the military in various times in our country, uh, various situations in our personal lives, we joined for a variety of reasons. Um, and, you know, everybody would like to think that it's because of patriotism and it's because of a, of a heart that's, uh, I'm laying down my life to, to further the cause of freedom. But, you know, unfortunately, that's not always true. Um, a lot of people, even though they are doing that, whether they realize it or not, they are laying their lives down because they can be called in times of war and they can get shot by the enemy. <clears throat> but they're not thinking about that typically. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. When I joined, uh, you know, other reasons for joining are because of college money. People join the military to, to save up money for college. Some join because they don't know what they want to do after high school. I had no clue what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to be, but I didn't really know how to get there. And so uh, I figured this was a good stopgap. Family members have served in the past, so they want to join. <clears throat> Also, patriotism and love of country. Um, unfortunately, when I joined, that was not the case for me. I had no idea about politics. I knew what the history was. I was glad to be a United States citizen, but I don't think I could say that I had a really strong sense of patriotism. But as I, as I progressed in the military, I got something else. Not, not a, a realization of the blessings of being a, a United States citizen, but a concept of, of what our country used to be and what it could be again. Um, I saw more and more how our country was presently. I, I, in the 80s, that was the, the Reagan era. And, boy, I love President Reagan. I'm a fan. I am a fan of President Reagan. He wasn't perfect, okay? I don't believe that. He wasn't perfect. Uh, nobody is. But as far as presidents go, he was a very good one. Um, in any case, um, so, I mean, society, when I was in the military, the 80s up to 90, I thought it was doing pretty good. Uh, I thought it was, it was nice. Later on, you know, as, as I grew a little bit older and as time went on, uh, the Clinton era and the, the Bush era and yada, yada, yada. Everything just kind of seemed to get a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit farther away from God, a little bit farther away from what I considered to be truth. And so uh, more and more this idea began to, to settle in my mind as our country seems to slip farther and farther away from where we started. More and more poignantly, I, I started to see what we could have been as a nation, what we used to be as a nation. And so this idea is, is kind of where I'm at today. I don't believe, I still think this country is the best country in the world. It's becoming less so every day. 
but it's still the best country in the world, by far. I see the sins of our country. I'm not blinded to that. I'm not what you might call a, a United States fanboy. I see with, I'm looking at it with open eyes. I see the sins. I see the, the faults of our country, and they are many, to be sure. But they are, they are there because of sin. They are there because of rebellion against God. And so, the job of the American serviceman, I say that gender neutral, service people, service persons, however you want to say it, men and women, what are their responsibilities? What do they do? Well, primarily, on a, on a, on a world scene, we have two responsibilities, offense, defense. Offense, we are enforcing United States policy on foreign soil. Okay, that's what we do in World War II. We had a policy, uh, Nazi is bad, freedom is good. So we were going to go enforce that, and we were going to go help the other nations that believe the same way. Another job we have is defense. We stand on a wall, and we protect, and we defend. We defend our way of life. We defend freedom, liberty. You know, and you could go into a philosophical debate. What, what does that mean? Another time. Uh, but liberty, that, that, is a, that is a basic, fundamental American doctrine. Freedom. I want to focus today on, on the defense aspect. The idea that we are watchmen. And... This, some of this may apply more toward the men. Uh, I'm a man, and I think one of the many things that are wrong with our country today is that men are not men. <clears throat> and we so desperately need men to be men. Not, uh, not effeminate, but men. We weren't, we weren't created to be women. Okay? I, I, I'm not... I'm not saying this judgmentally. I'm just saying this scripturally, scientifically, biologically. We weren't created to be women. Women were not created to be men. All through scripture we see that God is making a division between the two. A separation between the two. And when they become blurred, he calls that confusion. So as men, we are the priests of our home. We are the ones that stand on a wall in our home and we defend our, our families. We defend our spouse. We defend our children. Against what? Against the wiles of the enemy. We are the ones that let things into our house. We are the ones that stop things from coming into our house. That is up to you, men. Husband, father, that is your responsibility. And that's another word that's kind of fallen by the wayside is responsibility. When you join the, the armed services, yes, we learn obedience. We learn submission to authority. We learn structure. But we also take upon ourselves an enormous amount of responsibility. We have a duty now to uphold, protect, defend the Constitution of the United States, etc., etc. 
We take that responsibility upon ourselves willingly. And then we have to in turn discharge those responsibilities faithfully. When we get married, you know, it's the heat of the moment. That leg starts shaking. <clears throat> Amen. And uh, we love each other. And we're looking forward to a future together. And we got these big plans. But as men, are we thinking of the responsibility that we're taking on here? I'm going to be this woman's husband. And when we have kids, I'm going to be their father. That is an enormous amount of responsibility when you stop to consider. I am responsible for that child's well-being, for their training. Basically, I'm responsible for who they grow up to be. That's not something we ought to be taking lightly. I promise to be quick. <clears throat> I'm watching. The, I'm watching the clock here. We're gonna. We're gonna. But, but as men, as men, we need to. We need to be cognizant of the responsibilities that we're taking. We are standing on a wall, and it is our responsibility to be guarding. And when the enemy comes, it is our responsibility to sound the warning. Now our family can can ah, whatever you know they can do with it what they want. But our responsibility is to sound the alarm. That's our job. When the enemy comes, we need to be able to recognize that the enemy is coming. Not a friend, it's the enemy. We need to be able to recognize how close he is, what he's coming with, and sound the alarm for a proper defense. This is war, church. This is war. And as men and as women, we are soldiers in this war. We are spiritual soldiers in a spiritual army. And the more we begin to realize that, and the more we see the responsibility that's associated with that, the more we're going to begin to take that seriously. And the more the enemy is going to notice that we are taking it seriously. We've got to stay alert. When you're on guard duty, anyone ever get posted on guard duty? Anyone ever fall asleep on guard duty? Yeah, and you know that's not a fun time, is it? Because they always seem to know who it was. They didn't catch you? Uh, you can probably do 20 push-ups right now then. <laughs> I got caught. And oh, that was not fun. The next night, I got to spend the entire night digging in my howitzer. And then I got to fill it back in. I didn't get any sleep that night. That is the truth. I put coffee grounds in my eyes. I, I had a whole thing of coffee and I ate those grounds. I did what I could to stay awake from that point forward. 
I was not ever falling asleep again. It burned like crazy, but it kept me awake. (laughs) Putting this back to the spiritual, we have got to stay alert. Our families, our church body, our state, our, our city, our country cannot afford for us to be lulled to sleep. It is our responsibility to stay on that wall and stay alert. We are the ones guarding this thing. We can't become distracted. We can't be lulled into a false sense of security. And we certainly can't fall asleep. It's easy enough to do. Hours, days, weeks of no activity whatsoever. We start thinking, well, I can take a few minutes and relax. I can take a few minutes and and just not pay attention. But we can't afford that. The responsibility is too high. The consequences for our failing at our task, they are too high. And I'll close with this. When Pompeii was destroyed by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, there were many persons buried in the ruins who were afterwards found in very different persons. There were some found in deep vaults as if they had gone there for security. There were some found in lofty chambers. But where did they find the Roman sentinel? They found him standing at the city gate where he had been placed by the captain, with his hand still grasping the weapon. There, while the earth shook beneath him, there, while the floods of ashes and cinders overwhelmed him, he had stood at his post. And there, after a thousand years, he was found. Let us, as soldiers of Christ, let us, as men and women, who have taken upon ourselves the responsibility to stand to post, follow the examples of those that have went before, those veterans that have signed away everything, including their very precious life, their futures, their families' futures. They laid it down on a battlefield. Hill 618. Let's follow that example. Our lives are not so precious that we purchase them at the cost of losing our freedom. That we purchase them at the cost of losing our liberties. Our lives are not that precious. There are things that are worth more. There are things that we esteem greater. The salvation of the lost. The revival that Jesus is wanting to send. The salvation of our family members. Our co-workers. These things we esteem higher than even our life. Jesus himself said of himself, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll continue with the service. Thank you. 
A few moments ago, I placed a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier, and as I stepped back and stood during the moment of silence that followed, I said a small prayer, and it occurred to me that each of my predecessors has had a similar moment, and I wondered if our prayers weren't very much the same, if not identical. We celebrate Veterans Day on the anniversary of the armistice that ended World War I, the armistice that began on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. And I wonder, in fact, if all Americans' prayers aren't the same as those I mentioned a moment ago. For all we can ever do for our heroes is remember them and remember what they did, and memories are transmitted through words. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. And all we can do is remember. There's always someone 
who is remembering for us. No matter what time of year it is or what time of day, there are always people who come to this cemetery, leave a flag or a flower or a little rock on a headstone. And they stop and bow their heads and communicate what they wished to communicate. I think sometimes of General Matthew Ridgway, who, the night before D-Day, tossed sleepless on his cot and talked to the Lord and listened for the promise that God made to Joshua. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We are surrounded today by the dead of our wars. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. All we can do is try to see that other young men never have to join them. Today as never before, we must pledge to remember the things that will continue the peace. Today as never before, we must pray for God's help in broadening and deepening the peace we enjoy. Let us pray for freedom and justice and a more stable world. And let us make a compact today with the dead. A promise in the words for which General Ridgway listened, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. God. In closing, uh, I want to leave us with this quote. John Adams said this, Posterity, you will never know what it cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you'll make good use of it. As I stand here today, I think there are people who know exactly what it cost. They know because they gave it. Amen. I think we're going to pass out some... Okay. Okay. Brother Shepherd. And a flag. Thank you, sir. That's mine. Sister Sonia, you grab this for Brother Rapage.